Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. All right, we're back and we're going right to the phones and joining us as he does every week at this time. One of our favorite contributors from Tightline Outdoors, Nate Zielinski. Good morning, Nate. Good morning, Terry. How are you today? I am doing great. Uh, we've finally got a little bit of a break from that super hot weather, and we're going to get seasonal weather. It's going to be, you know, we're going to get some rain and a few cooler days, then it's going to get back up in the 90s for a stretch. But that's typical of this time of the year, and everybody's thinking summer and they're thinking camping and fishing, and we're going to talk some fishing here in just a little bit, but, boy, it's time to start thinking big game, isn't it? It is, Terry. You know, I just had this conversation with somebody, and they were kind of having that that whole conversation of, you know, it's too early, it's too early, and if you look at, at all the seasons, fishing, hunting, whether it's ice fishing, fly fishing, any of them, the, the person who does okay in our sport, Terry, of fishing and hunting, is a person that kind of lives in the moment. But the angler, the hunter, any, anybody that's really into it, if you start living one step ahead, if you can predict what's happening, if you're one step ahead of all the game, both fishing and hunting, that's what truly leads to, to unbelievable excess and opportunity. And that's what we try to really talk about here on the show. It's good to kind of live in the bite, but if you're one step ahead of the bite, one step ahead of the animals, that's what truly is going to open up an entire world of opportunity uh, of successful outings in both fishing and hunting. And that's why we talk about this. And with that being said, we always wait to really get full-blown into hunting until the young of the year are born. It's kind of one of those things. It's, a, it's kind of a, a whole project and plan that I've put together over the last 20 years. Um, and really, when the calves and the fawns hit the ground, that's what starts a true stable pattern. That's what's going to stop the animals from moving around. That's what's going to make them start bedding in the same area, drinking in the same area, feeding in the same area. And these are the same patterns that are going to hold true, especially in the archery season, muzzleloader, uh, and even the earlier rifle seasons. And that time is now. The fawns and calves are on the ground. Uh, so with that said, it is now time to start thinking about that upcoming hunting season. And I'm not saying you have to dedicate your life to it, but you are definitely now prepping some gear. You know, if you're going to get, if this is that year we're going to get a new bow, you know, all of our equipment is still extremely limited. We thought it was going to be a one-year thing with COVID. It's not. We are still really struggling to keep up with gear. So, you know, if, if this is your year to get a new archery setup, you need to do it now because, you know, you order it now, you might get it in a month, and then obviously it takes a while to learn new setups, you know, to dial in new arrows, tune broadheads, um, muzzleloader, same thing. Uh, I know that right now everybody seems to be stocking up on, on bullets, um, and in the muzzleloader world, not all bullets are created equal. You know, we're a huge fan of the Thor product. Uh, there's some new stuff by Power Belt, but there's a lot to those bullets. And it seems like the bullets are starting to be not, they're by no means caught up, but they're starting to be available a little bit. But powder is still extremely scarce. So I was talking to, to various retailers in the Denver region, and they have no prediction of when powder will be in. So that's one of those things that if you have a, a muscle loader hunt coming up, 
you need to get the gear now so, one, you can practice and you can really get dialed in for that hunt. So everything, ammunition, rifles. So you need to get your gear ready, and we're also starting to scout. You don't want to have to rush your scouting. It's great if you can tie in a, a morning here, an afternoon there, um, and that all starts right now. So we are definitely starting to think uh, about the upcoming hunt. Again, I'm not saying you have to dedicate your life to it, uh, but it's something you definitely have to get started on right now. You know, one of the things I, I love to tell people this time, and you have, you're a big advocate of this too, is your scouting this time of the year can be a fishing trip to a high mountain lake or a stream. It can be a dispersed camping trip where you do some hiking. It can be another activity. It could be taking even your kids or your family out, learn the terrain and do a little bit of glassing while you're out there. But you don't necessarily have to just do that intense scouting right now. Just really start getting familiar with the area, right? That's what it's all about. You know, actually tomorrow it's Father's Day. So happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there. And with that said, we're actually doing that exact same thing. So we're taking the family, bringing the kids. There's a, there's a small pocket uh, of a bedding area and this small drainage that I've been looking at because I've been doing a ton of digital scouting, looking at it on Google Earth, and it's a spot that I'm planning on hunting this year. Um, and I just want to get kind of a lay of the land. I want to truly look uh, at the train. I want to look at the trails going into it. And exactly, so we're taking the, the family, taking the kids, going to make it a good trip. You know, we'll look for some antler sheds um, and make it fun. You do not have to make it dedicated. And I tell people all the time, you know, Go camping or, or rent a cabin or a hotel. Bring the family in. You know, you can sneak away, whoever's hunting, sneak away for an hour or two in the morning. Um, I mean, it gets light at 5 a.m. now. So you can scout from 5 to 7 a.m. when the animals are on their feet and active. And you can usually get back to wherever you're at, um, you know, by breakfast time. Spend the whole day uh, with family, making it fun, fishing, hiking, whatever. Um, but you can still accomplish those scouting goals. So, Tie it into to activities so you're not just dedicated, again, to the hunting and making it so overwhelming. But, but again, the more you put your time in now, the more education that you obtain, uh, the more successful your hunt will be this coming fall. Great time to do some photography. I mean, the pictures you can look at after you get back, and you may even see things in those pictures you didn't notice when you were scouting, and you have fun taking pictures. Before we move on, I want to talk some walleye fishing with you, but before we move on, uh, you're, you are doing a big game series for Parks and Wildlife. Quickly tell us about that. Absolutely, Terry. We're super excited about it. So I partnered with Colorado Parks and Wildlife. It's called the Big Game Hunting Series. I'm hosting the entire series. So coming up on Monday or Tuesday, we are dropping uh, what we're calling Phase 1 of infield scouting. It's exactly what we're talking about here. So it, it really breaks down in about a 30-minute video uh, exactly what you're looking for in phase one of scouting. And phase one of scouting is right now where we're looking at what we call terrain and daily habits. So it's learning the food source, learning the water holes, and learning the bedding grounds. We break down all of those. What exactly you look for in food. Everybody's like, oh, it's the forest, there's food. But we break down what you look for in food. We break down the difference uh, of ponds versus wallows versus creeks. Uh, we talk about bedding and when certain bedding areas are more valuable. Um, so that'll all be available early next week. It'll be on their Facebook page, their Instagram page, their YouTube channel, and their website. Uh, and the following week, we actually break down animal habits. Uh, so we're going to be talking about finding animals, what you look for in animals. So when you go out scouting and you see a group of animals, you're not just saying, hey, great, I saw animals. I, I talked to you about what you looked at at the animals as far as understanding timing, watching their behavior, and what it means. And if you see a, a bachelor group of bulls, how do you break those bulls down to say, hey, I think 
apples out of holes and, and how that's going to associate and break down into a harem and where that harem's going to go. Um, so this entire series, we started a few months ago. It continues every couple weeks uh, with content just on how to scout, how to utilize all the public land and all the tags that are available. Um, I know that there's draws coming out and the, the second, basically the, the secondary draw uh, just came out this week where you can apply up until the end of the month. Um, but there are so many tags available. People that sometimes aren't successful in the limited draw process and they think that they can't do it. But even if you are 100% unsuccessful in the, the limited license applications, there are still what they call OTC, which is over-the-counter tags, available, and you can do it. So that's for, for you know most animals. Um, you have archery tags. You have second, third rifle tags, especially in the elk category. Um, so there's a lot of opportunity, a lot of licensing available. Um, and you can honestly, through good scouting, you can take any license and make it a good license. That's probably one of the m- biggest misconceptions that I hear is everybody's like, oh, I didn't draw anything good, so it's not worth going. You could take the worst tag in the world with the worst odds of success, and if you scout it properly, you build education, you put the work in, you can create success. So uh, I would love just to take that and throw that out the window right now and, and have everybody kind of go into their hunt with a mindset of, it is all energy in to result out. I mean, if you put that energy in, you can create some great tags. And that's what the entire series is about. So look at all the Colorado Parks and Wildlife outlets coming up early this week. And you'll see that next video. And the week after, we'll be talking to animals. So it's a lot of great stuff coming out. All right. Let's switch gears real quick. What's going on fishing-wise? You know, Terry, there's so much going on fishing-wise. And I want to talk about two things. I want to talk about spinning real quick. And then I would love to talk about some walleye action. Um, spinning is filling. We went from literally pushing water through spinning at an extremely low rate um, earlier this year. So it did not open for boating, fishing. Obviously, it didn't open up until really that last week of May. Made opening to spinning. And, and I know everybody's anticipating the opening. And now that it's opening, a lot of anglers are struggling with, uh, with the catch rate. The pike fishing seems to be very good, but a lot of anglers are struggling with trout. Um, And everybody is wondering, you know, did the low water hurt the fishery or what's going on? And in reality, they were letting water out as much as it was coming in. So honestly, even though the water was rising slowly in April and May, they were letting so much water out to fill up all the reservoirs below it. Um, The water level stayed fairly slow. Now they are able to hold that water. So spinny is raising inches if not feet almost daily so the water is coming up drastically fast and the weed growth is not following it so you had extremely low water uh it dried out all the weed growth so you basically had mud shorelines and now that the water is coming up those weeds take a while to grow back into that shallow water so where so many anglers are used to going out and fishing this time of year and four, six, eight feet of water, there is no vegetation right there. The, the, new, the mud snails have not moved back in there. There's no food in that shallow water right now because there's no growth. Um, and therefore, the fish are not there. So I see so many anglers really struggling. And spinning really right now has turned into either a game of, of utilizing your electronics or covering water. But I think just kind of a shout out to the anglers fishing spinny, you have to really consider why those big fish are where they're at. We talk about this all the time, Terry, but understanding the whole system is everything. So you have to know what they're feeding on, know where the midges are hatching out of the vegetation, know where the 
the scuds and the freshwater shrimp are at. And if you find that food source, you're going to find those big rainbows. So the small stalkers are kind of cruising everywhere, but those real big 20 to 25 inch rainbows are gathered up pretty good. And you need to cruise around till you find them. The biggest trick I can tell you is we're seeing a ton of fish in like 12 to 18 feet of water. Uh, look for that vegetation that, that was not affected by the low water. And really, fishing low has been huge. So you're in deeper water, fishing tube jigs down low, uh, fishing deep diving type cranks, deep spoons. But getting your bait down, uh, you know, really honestly, just a couple of feet off bottom in that 12 to 18 feet of water, and you will have an amazing day of catching those big fish. But you have to go into it knowing you have to seek those areas out. If you go to your traditional shallow water opportunities, uh, you're not going to find success. So as the weeds grow, those fish will move into that shallow water. But right now, uh, we are fishing where the food is at, and that's in deeper water. And that's how to create that success there as Penny. All right. We've got a couple minutes left. Let's switch to the walleyes. All right, Terry, it is that magical week. You and I talk about this every year. Um, fishing has been miraculous for, for weeks on in now, but we are officially at the point to where last year's shad are too large for that average walleye. And when I say average walleye, we all know what I'm talking about. We're talking about that 17-and-a-half-inch male, you know, that 18-inch female. But when those sub-20-inch fish, uh, hit this time of year. The shad from last year are approaching four and a quarter, four and a half inches, even bigger, five inches. And those 20 inch fish and less are struggling to feed on them because the bait fish is too large. Um, and these fish are hungry. I don't want to say they're starving because that kind of puts a negative word out there, but they're hungry. They're on limited food source and they are now switching gears and feeding on anything they can. So they're feeding on midges, they're feeding on worms, crawdads. Uh, you know, perch fry. They are eating anything they can because their normal food source is not available. We're going to have probably a solid week, uh, maybe even three weeks, until we see the shad from this year show up. Our shad spawned a couple of weeks ago, but the fry from that shad has not hatched yet. They'll hatch here soon, but really the walleyes don't activate on this year's shad until they hit about an inch long. And that's going to be, you know, early to mid-July. So right now and going forth for, you know, the next week or two, um, it is absolutely as good of walleye fishing as you're going to have. Um, and we are getting literally hundreds of fish a day. I mean, I had multiple hundred fish days at Cherry Creek this week. Chatfield strong. Pueblo's amazing. So if you've never walleye fished, now is the time because you can do anything. You can jig. You can live bait rig. You can throw cranks. Um, if you put a bait near a walleye right now, they are going to take it. So it's just more understanding what that concept is uh, of why they're feeding so aggressively. They're on a lacking food source right now. That food source will bounce back in a couple weeks, if not months, and we'll be you know, cursing that bait fish because it'll be so hard to catch the walleyes. But right now, it is time to walleye fish. And just a reminder, this if when you're fishing this bite, the big fish are able to feed on those big shad. Their habits are different. You're yeah. fishing for, like you said, those sub-20-inch fish. You're going to catch a lot of fish. You may only get a couple that you can keep for the pan, but, boy, can you have fun. If you want to target big fish, you have to do something different. But it's just a great time to get out there, get anybody out there and catch fish. It's, and like you said, it'll last a while, and then it's going to change. And I'm going to talk a little bit later about when it changes and why I sometimes like that pattern when it does change. But, Nate, let's wrap it up. we got to get going, but got some things coming up. 
Absolutely, Jerry. We're super excited. Next week, coming Wednesday, we have our catch rate event. We're seeing a lot of new anglers. We want to tell everybody out there, if you've considered, if you haven't considered it, come try catch rate. It's $20 investment, multiple species. We feed you food, great prizes. Everybody, come to Catch Rate at Chatfield this coming Wednesday. You can go to our website to get a bunch of information, but Catch Rate is Wednesday night, 4 to 8. We also have our night tournament coming up Friday night. That's 5 p.m. to 11 p.m. at Chatfield. So two different Catch Rates this coming week. Uh, we would love to see new anglers there uh, experience this opportunity. So, so just huge shout-out about that. Go to our website for all of the information. All right, my friend. We'll talk to you next week. You have a great rest of the weekend. Thank you, sir. You bet. Nate Zolinski, we're going to take a time out. When we come back, we're going to talk about a great fundraiser, fundraiser, fundraiser that's going on in the outdoors. And one of our favorite partners is really taking part in it. We'll tell you about that and a lot more on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear on 104.3 The Fan. And speaking of Jack's Outdoor Gear, let's go to the phones. And joining us from Jack's is Ashley Vandermeden. Good morning, Ashley. Hi, Terry. How are you? I'm doing great. You know, we are very proud to have Jack's as a partner, our show, one of our special partners. And we talk all the time about the gear you guys carry, the the quality of the service, the people that are in your stores that can help people, and the, just the vast array of outdoor products that you do carry. But Jax has also been known to be a real part of the community up and down the Front Range. You're a Colorado-based company. You've got locations from Broomfield and Lafayette to Loveland, Fort Collins, all the way up to Cheyenne even. But I think you guys have always taken a lot of pride in participating and supporting community uh, activities. And you are personally going to be involved in one of those activities now, and that's the Bike MS Colorado that's coming up. Tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, so this is a fundraiser ride. Uh, it is next Saturday, and this is Jax's second year as a sponsor with Bike MS, as well as riding. So we have 19 riders from five different stores, and, uh, you know, the whole purpose of the ride is to raise money for the National MS Society. But it's also about getting outside and enjoying just, uh, you know, riding alongside other people who are riding for a good cause. Now, a lot of times when these fundraisers come up, people say, yeah, but where does the money go? Where does the money go for this one, Ashley? Yeah, so 100% of the funds go to the National MS Society. And Jack's, our goal this year was to raise $8,500, and we've actually already surpassed that, so we're at $9,000. And, uh, you know, it's really great to see the money making an impact in the lives of people living with multiple sclerosis. Yeah, and it's one of those diseases I think sometimes we don't hear about enough, you know, with COVID and some of the other things that are going on we've kind of lost sight of some of these and some of these organizations have suffered in their fundraising because of that. And this is just a great reminder. Also, I think last year you had to do a virtual race because of COVID. I bet it's going to be fun to actually be out on the trails again or on the, on the ride. Yeah, definitely. Last year we had a small group that did a ride together, just our team and it was a lot of fun, but there is something to be said about being surrounded by, you know, thousands of other riders uh, all working for the same cause. Now, where does the ride start and how long is it? 
Yeah, so the ride starts in Westminster, and there's two routes. Uh, there's a 34-mile route and a 78-mile route. So I, I would have trouble doing the 35-mile route. I certainly couldn't do the 78-mile. My my wife, Karen, she bikes every morning. I, I get on my indoor bike more than I get on my outdoor bike, I have to admit. But we do get out and bike. So which one are you riding or don't you want to tell us? <laughs> I will be doing the 78. Um, wow. Typically, typically they have a 100-mile route, and I try to push myself and do that one. This will be my fifth year riding bike MS. And, you know, it, it's definitely not a race. It's a ride, and people are having fun. And, you know, it's not about the time that you finish. It's just about the experience. No, you're absolutely right. And Colorado is such a great place to bike. And kudos to you. you in good shape for a 78-mile ride. Um, now, it starts in Westminster. Now, it's probably too late for somebody who wanted to take part this year what does it take, maybe looking to next year, if somebody wanted to ride in this? Yeah, so anyone can sign up with a team or by themselves, and you would just look for Bike MS Colorado. And there is a $400 fundraiser minimum, but lots of people raise you know, way more than that. But that's kind of the minimum amount to participate. Now, you said you have 19 riders from the Jack stores. That's just incredible that 19, it shows that the people in these stores are enthusiasts who enjoy biking. Now, you have a whole great big bike section. I want to talk about that in a minute in most of your stores. But 19 riders, you guys should be proud to have 19 of your employees coming out of the stores to take part in that. That just shows the quality and the enthusiasm of your employees. Yeah, it's a great way for us all to, you know, spend time outdoors together outside of our work environments. Now, I talked to you earlier in the week, and you said you actually need to hire some people for some of these uh, part of the jobs like your bike sections. Is that still true? Yes, we are hiring at all of our store locations. We're always looking for people to join our team that love the outdoors and, uh, you know, are knowledgeable about the things that they do outside well i think another thing about the jack stores like a lot of your stores have an archery pro shop and some of them have different types of pro shops and different types every store isn't identical you all have the outdoor gear in the outdoor stores but you you were telling me earlier in the week that and i didn't even know this that some of your stores actually have bike pro shops that is correct. We have uh, full-service bike shops at our Lafayette, Broomfield, and Fort Collins outdoor gear store locations, and we have mechanics on staff, and you know they'll do tune-ups and help you help you out whatever you need. And you also have a full line of bike accessories. I've walked through the stores, so you know it's just a one-stop shop for all your outdoor needs. Uh, Ashley, kudos to you for taking part in this and. Super kudos to Jax for being such a community supporter and raising thousands and thousands of dollars for MS. Thank you guys for all you give back to the Colorado community. Of course. Thanks for having us. You bet. Ashley, we're going to say goodbye to you, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, Terry. You bet. Ashley Vandermeden. Just, yeah, it's just great that you have a partner you can be so proud of that gives so much back to the community. All right, we're going to take a timeout. When we come back, we're going to change gears. 
Ronnie Castiglione is going to join us, and we're going to talk fishing on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Last time we got an upbeat eagle song going on there. Ronnie's just going to have to wait a minute while we listen, Kyle. better start the show or I'm going to start singing along. We'll lose our audience. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Let's go to the phones. And joining us from Fishful Thinker is Ronnie Castellione. Good morning, Ronnie. Terry, when are you going to start bumping in with some of that music you're recording, bud? I want to, I want to hear some of those tracks. We did do one a couple, well, I don't know, about three, four weeks ago. We're, we got, we're working on, my collaborators and I are working on our third and fourth songs now and they'll be released we hopefully this fall and then people can laugh at me and tell me what what were you thinking so (laughs) i'm sure they're going to be fantastic carrie how are you doing this morning buddy i'm doing great you know ronnie we've had some awfully warm weather it's cooled down a little but we're only you know we're going to get through this maybe off and on a little bit of rain a little cooler but not cold certainly and then we're going to be back in the 90s because that's seasonal. And this is the time of the year when you like to leave the waiters at home, I understand. Absolutely, Terry. When I see, you know, 90 degree plus on the old thermometer for the day, it really makes me want to head up into the hills and stand waist deep in a cold river somewhere or stream. And it's really, you know, a great time of year to do that, Terry. And and it always shocks me when I drive up the rivers this time of year and it's 100 degrees out and I see I see a lot of people wearing waders, you know. They're, they're fully dressed up in the wader gear and the vests and the boots and the whole nine yards. And I, I'm just thinking they're missing half of the experience when they go up there and they dress like that, Terry. This time of year when it's super, super hot out, uh, half the reason I'm going to head up there is so that I can feel that cold river on my legs, Terry, and, and cool me off and, and look around and see the beautiful scenery and just enjoy Colorado for its best. And, and I catch a lot of fish this time of year, Terry, so it's definitely on my mind, and it's the time of year to head up and do it here in northern Colorado for sure. Oh, without question. Now, do you wade pretty deep when you wet wade, or you kind of stay maybe knee-deep, or how do you approach it? Terry, I've been doing it since I was very, very young, and I will go pretty deep. I have no problem wading in, you know, deeper than waist deep. Um, I'll read the river for sure and pay attention to the flows and, and not get into any dangerous situations. But if it's a slow meander and drift and I need to get out a little bit farther in order to make that cast all the way across, then I've got no problem wading out there and getting a little deep, Terry. I can tell you this, that when it's 100 degrees out, I'll find myself some nice little pools that are close in, and I'll sit down in them throughout the day and go ahead and get wet all the way up to my chest. And part of the reason I'm doing that is just kind of cool me off and keep me cool as I fish my way up the canyons in that blazing sun. And and if you're going to go about doing that kind of a thing, Terry, if you're going to go up there and you're going to wet wade and you're going to enjoy the cold weather, uh, one of the tips I'll tell people is that you've got to dress appropriately for that if you're planning on fishing and wading around and jumping rocks and things like that. And so one of the big tips that I can give you is to have clothing items, be it the shirt, the shoes, and the shorts, that are all designed to be moisture whisking and dry fast. That way, when you get in and out of the water and you start walking around the rocks, you're not dragging a whole bunch of water around with you, slopping around on those rocks. 
that's a recipe for falling and getting hurt, Terry. So you want to be sure that your clothes, the water falls out of them real quick, that they don't hold on to them. Um, if they're designed to dry rapidly, then they kind of work like an air conditioner. And as they dry, they cool you off as you go. And the shoes, Terry, it's very important that you wear a pair of shoes, be it hiking shoes, water shoes, something along those lines. They've got to be designed to drain water out of them almost instantaneously. You really want the shoes that have the holes in the bottom of them, the holes in the soles or the holes in the sides of the soles, some of that mesh or that kind of a thing down there, so that when you get those shoes wet, when you step out onto those dry rocks, you're not slopping a whole bunch of water around with you and and you're not falling, Terry. So those are kind of some of my big tips. They actually make wading sandals now, too, that you can get that really dry quickly. And I, speaking of the clothing, I have the right clothing as far as I have uh, shirts and full-length pants that the legs will zip off of that I actually bought for bone fishing in the Bahamas and those kind of areas. And they're made to protect you from the sun, but they're also made where you jump out of the boat and you wade the flats and you jump back in the boat. And one of the keys, though, that people forget about is their underwear. They put on a pair of cotton briefs under that. Don't do that because they will get wetter than all get out. And you can buy some, like, synthetic or almost silk briefs that will dry just as quickly as the other clothing. Absolutely, Terry. And, you know, it's funny you brought up the salt water because the gear that I wear when I go fish the streams, I could very easily be standing on a skiff down in southern Florida, and I'd be wearing the exact same stuff. So that is the style of stuff that you're looking for, Terry. You hit that right on the head there. Um, I'm looking for those quick-dry things that will protect you from the sun but that are also designed to dry off rapidly. And, uh, you know, a neck gaiter is also another good thing that you can wear with you when you're going up to do this style of fishing. Maybe you don't want to go super deeper you don't want to get wet all the way up to your chest you can take that neck gator off you can dip that thing in the water you can squeeze a little of that excess water out of it and you can put that right back on your neck and that's designed to dry rapidly and cool you off as you work your way around and that's that's an outstanding tip terry that's why you see the guys down there on the keys in florida wearing that kind of stuff as well we have a number of those so let's talk about the way you fish now are you conventional fly fishing or both how do you like to approach the rivers this time of the year you know, I've always done a little bit of both, carry throughout my life, but uh, primarily it's a lot of conventional gear for me this time of year. Um, I think here in northern Colorado, the flows that we're dealing with are still relatively high. The Pooter's running at a good clip, and the Big Thompson's got a lot of water coming down it as well. And certainly those are going to let off as we get farther into summer. But I really prefer to fish the rivers when they're flowing nice and hard. Um, I think it, it's a little bit more of a challenge for me, Terry, to get out there and pull fish from really rapid conditions. And I also think it tends to keep some of the crowds off the river when the water's running high. So I get out there and I like to approach it this time of year primarily with conventional gear. And that allows me to make the cast that I need to be able to make all the way across the river in order to get to those far runs and some of those pools that are on the opposite side of the river. It allows me to be able to really control my line when I make that cast. And, and that's really one of the biggest differences that you run into when you talk about a, a fly angler's approach to the streams or the rivers and a conventional angler's approach 
to the stream or the river. The conventional guy has the advantage of being able to pull tight to his presentation, Terry. So when I make that cast all the way to that far pool, I can come tight to it before my lure even hits the water. And then I have a straight line of sight from the top of my rod all the way to the pool that I'm fishing. And I'm not leaving any line laying in the river between me and that pool. Whereas, you know, the fly angler on a real long cast, it's going to be difficult for them to keep their line from getting into that water in between them and the pool. And when you're dealing with really fast running conditions, uh, that makes that presentation real tough on a fly rod because it's going to get ripped out of that pool real quick, whereas the conventional anger can keep his presentation in that pool pretty much throughout the whole return. And it's kind of an advantage that we have this time of year fishing high water with conventional gear, Terry. What what type of presentations do you like to use as you fish these rivers? Well, you know, there's there's really three that I usually am going to be with, Terry. Uh, a lot of times it's going to be a jig of some sort. So that's kind of – a jig is kind of a blanket statement. There can be a lot of things – put onto that jig and they can be a lot of different sizes but a jig with something like a two and a half inch gulp minnow or maybe a two inch tube jig or a variety of other little minnow style baits that you can come across uh, those tend to be the things that I go to first Terry especially when the water's high because the pools tend to be kind of shrunk down and so I want presentations that will work uh, vertically through the water column in those real small tight fast running pools as opposed to something that will work horizontally through the water column. Now, if I get to a section of the river that's maybe got a larger drift or a larger pool, then that's where I'm going to think about maybe something like a small jerk bait or a small crankbait, something that I can cast in across that pool and work back through that flow. Uh, that's an excellent opportunity. And then there'll also be times that I'll go to a split shot rig and I'll put something, you know, let's say maybe a foot to 15 inches below something like a BB size split shot. And a lot of times I'll tie maybe some of the streamer patterns or some of my leech patterns or things like that that I would also be utilizing with my fly rod. I can make those same presentations on, a, on my spinning gear with a split shot. Um, and that can be very, very effective to get into some of those runs and drifts that are difficult to approach. And talking about those, those leeches and those uh, streamers that you put a little split shot ahead, you know what's making a big comeback? Now, you talked about the gulp minnow. You and I fish with that a lot. But there's some areas of these rivers where you can't have scented baits. Now, you can get unscented plastics. But I, uh, something that I've talked about maybe over the last five weeks, two or three times with different people, is we're starting to see hare and marabou jigs make a comeback. And you can fish those anywhere that you can fish a fly. And you can even tie your own. But a lot of stores start to carry them. And hare, hare and marabou jigs can be a great trout presentation. They really can, Terry, and just about every winter I find myself tying hundreds and hundreds of them up and giving them away and utilizing them throughout the year wait, for wait, the smallmouth walleye. Tying, tying them and give them away, I don't remember getting any. <laughs> well, Terry, you actually got to come out and go fishing with me in order to get some. But, uh, All right. but absolutely, Terry, tying, tying, tying hair jigs, feather jigs, things like that. There's a variety of patterns. I can tell you this right off the bat. The pattern that I've tied for years and years and years onto my jig heads that has been the most effective for me for a variety of fish is just a clouser minnow pattern. Uh, you take that exact same pattern that you tie for a clouser, and rather than putting it on a, on a hook with a, you know some sort of a lead head type thing, or eyeballs that they have, you go ahead and put that on a jig head and tie the body the exact same way, Terry. That is a deadly presentation on a conventional rod. 
Uh, it works in fresh water. It works tremendously well in salt water. Uh, that clouser minnow tied to a jig will get her done for a variety of species, and the trout will absolutely jump all over that. I'll give you this little tip right here, Terry. If you're new to tying the hair jigs, the marabou jigs, the feathers, things like that, um, especially when you're dealing with trout or you're dealing with river situations, it tends to be that people that are new to that tie their jigs a little too bulky. They put too many feathers on them. They put too much hair on them. Um, they tend to make them a little too fluffy. Uh, that really slows down the sink rate when you tie them too fluffy like that, and it doesn't allow the jig really to get that streamlined look that you're looking for. Less is more a lot of times when you're going to try to tie those presentations and utilize those, and that's kind of one of the big tips that I give people a lot of times when they talk to me about tying up my hair jigs. I think that's a tremendous tip, Ronnie. Ronnie, before I let you go, um, anything else you've heard about? Any bites? Any fishing going on? Maybe at Horsetooth or or Boyd or Carter? Horsetooth is fishing very, very well. However, Horsetooth is getting a lot of pressure right now, Terry. Uh, the water is very, very high, and there's a lot of people up there pounding the banks. Um, but the fishing can be very, very good. It tends to be that there's a morning bite and an evening bite. I'd suggest people maybe downsize their presentations a little bit if they're having trouble catching a lot of fish. Um, I was up there not too long ago, and I started off throwing a few of my usuals, and I just wasn't getting any action, and I went to something a little bit more finessey, a little bit smaller on a jig head, and started getting bites right away, Terry. So that's kind of the big deal up there. It's also that time of year up there where once you get past that morning bite, a couple hours later, that boat bite kicks in, Terry. And what I mean by the boat bite is, you know, 10, 1030 on that lake is when really the masses start to show up and start running up and down the main lake. Well, that's when they start throwing a lot of waves and wakes at the shorelines, at the points, and at the humps. And these fish are kind of keyed into that, Terry. Once that current starts kicking around, once those mud lines start to form, there's a feeding window right there that a lot of fish will take advantage of. The smallmouths in particular can be really good right then, but the walleyes can also be outstanding around 10, 30, 11 o'clock in the morning. Um, they really key in on that mud line bite when it forms, Terry. So that's one of the big ones that we're seeing. Boyd's fishing pretty well is well we're seeing a lot of really nice largemouth being caught down at boyd um some decent sized walleyes but not as big as the walleyes we're seeing at horse tooth right now and the trout bites getting a little bit harder although guys are catching trout trolling still at boyd so those are kind of the two lakes that i've been on and, and got a lot of information about terry all right we got to wrap it up ronnie but um you and i need to get on the water so i can get some of those hair jigs from you but other than boxes that, and boxes of them, Terry, I'll bring them. <laughs> no problem. You, you can a, take the cherry, pick the ones you want. I, you, you have a great rest of the weekend. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Have a good one, Terry. All right. Ronnie Castiglione from Fishful Thinker. We're going to take a time out and we come back. We'll wrap up this week's edition of Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. All right, you're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors and 104.3 The Fan, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear. We're going to wrap things up. A couple things. Uh, number one, always follow us on Facebook. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook. I will post several of today's segments as podcasts on our Facebook page. We carry the Colorado uh, Fishing Report on our Facebook page. If I get out on the water, I put firsthand reports of what we did and how we caught them on our Facebook page. And then we'll let you know about upcoming special guests on our Facebook page. So if you really want to stay in tune with the show, follow Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook. We try not to overwhelm you. Most of the time, we're lucky if we do one post a day. We don't send out 
10 posts and even every day. We just try to get good information in your hands. And also our YouTube channel, we post Every time Karen adds a new uh, video to our YouTube channel, she posts that on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook. But the best of fishing with Terry Wickstrom, our YouTube channel, a lot of that was filmed right here in your backyard in Colorado. The last thing I want to say is we get deeper into summer. We're going to have more and more of you getting out, and we want you to get out. But there's so many things. I see this headline over and over. I've got it in front of me on my computer. Unprepared hikers rescued from difficult terrain and hazardous weather conditions in Colorado. And know your limits. It's so easy to get in trouble. And just because it's 90 degrees down here, if a storm blows through at 10,000 feet, that temperature can drop extremely cold. You can get wet. Hypothermia can set in. Um, Know your conditions. Be prepared for what you're going to face. Make sure you take what you need with you. I'll post a Comfort and Survival art column I wrote for the post here in the next uh, in the next few days on my our Facebook page Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Be prepared and always tell somebody where you're going. Be aware of hypothermia and lightning. Wear the proper clothing. Um, we put our rescuers in danger every time they're called out. Now they're there to help you. They want to get you out of there, but they put their lives on the line. So try to try to be aware of what your abilities are and not get yourself in trouble. You can join us every Saturday right here from 9 to 11. Uh, We cover the outdoors, fishing, hunting, camping outdoors. Love to have you. We're going to say, we're going to wrap things up. We'll let the Eagles take us to the top of the hour and sports on 104.3 The Fan. Yes, she's still. 